Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 24, Continuous Improvement and Building a Resilient Culture. My guest today is Jody Walkerling, author, coach, and consultant. Jody is passionate about using her knowledge and experience to assist businesses to build an enduring, resilient culture at the whole culture level. That means including the various levels of leadership within the business and at the individual level, so the business as a whole and the individuals within the business can experience the enormous benefits of an enduring, resilient culture. Jody's new book is World Class Leadership, 10 Critical Insights Every Leader Needs to Know to Foster, Create, and Build an Enduring, Resilient Culture. Jody Walkerling, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you very much for having me. Jody, I'd love if you would start out by telling me how you got to where you are today, and then we'll get into talking about resilience, which is what you're here to uh, to talk to us about today. So tell us the Jody story. Absolutely. So I've spent most of my working career in corporate in various levels of of responsibility um, and authority Um, and while I could do those jobs and I think do them well I was basically doing it in a state of stress so it was almost like and I see this in a lot of people these days it was such a normal way that I lived my life that I almost got to the stage I wasn't really that aware of it now there was As things changed, there were peaks and troughs of that. But a few years back, I reached um, one of those critical kind of turning points that most of us have at various stages in our lives. And I was in a very, very stressed state to the point where it was affecting my health, it was affecting how I related to other people and, and relationships in my life and my general quality of life and well-being um and I think I was like so close to burnout I didn't quite burn out but I was extremely close um and I almost had one of those light bulb I call them aha moments where I went my gosh there has to be something better than this um and it started me on a, a path of first of all for helping myself um discovering myself discovering what those patterns were, why I had them, um, how I could do something better that was better for my quality of life. And then that kind of naturally gravitated towards helping other people. And then that naturally gravitated towards helping leaders and towards helping um, culture within business because that's often a a cause of a lot of the, the stresses. So it's been like an almost natural progression based on my own needs to start with. Uh, to me, it's really interesting that you say you started you started with yourself, right? Because I was a little bit worried when you said that that um, that this was all about um, sort of I don't want to say victim blaming, but but if if I'm feeling stressed, it must be me, right? But that's not your message at all, is it? Oh gosh, no. 
gosh, no. Um, there are things in our lives that, things in our lives, things in ourselves that result in us feeling stressed. And there are definite ways that we can take control of that. So, gosh, no, definitely not yeah. victim blaming. So let's start with what is resilience? When you talk about resilience, what are you talking about? Yep. So I look at resilience in almost like two sides to it. So the first side is um, doing things in our life that mean that we stay in a state of calm and a state of a non-stress state as much as possible. So there's various things that we can do. Um, sleep's one really good example. Um, so people will rate, relate if they're feeling stressed, often their sleep's affected. If their sleep's not great, then they often feel stresses more. And there's a very, there's a whole range of them. So, so things like sleep, diet, exercise, um, meditation and mindfulness, um, work-life balance. My gosh, there's a whole lot of them. And mindset fits into that as well. So doing things in our life that basically mean that when we have stresses, we stay as much in that state of calm. But the other side, the fact is we're all human. And the fact is we all have times when we feel stressed. I don't think, I think you'd have to be like almost a Zen master to always stay in a state of, of non-stress. So the second side of resilience is when you do feel affected by stress, picking that up in yourself as, as quickly as possible because awareness is a major key um, and then having things that can bring yourself back to calm and clear thought as quickly as possible. So it's definitely both sides. It's really, it's really fascinating to me what you had said earlier about being stressed and just feeling as if that was normal, right? That's just the way it's supposed to be. Um, I remember a, a, a boss saying to me once when we were talking about a project, what keeps you awake at two o'clock in the morning? And I accepted that as a perfectly normal question. Of course, I should be awake at two o'clock in the morning worrying about this project. It's funny. I find it so much in today's society. It has become so much of a normal way of life um, that, yeah, people aren't aware of it. And it's really not great in terms of your quality of life and, and your health. And, and part of my mission is to let people know it actually doesn't have to be a reality. Um, and knowing that and being aware of it in yourself and, and taking steps um, to control it in yourself is, is quite a rewarding journey to go through. So. so if somebody is feeling that way, they're feeling stressed, they're feeling... You know, I think what we're seeing now in society um, is what they're calling the great resignation, you know, where people are saying, that's it, I've had it, you know, I had this opportunity to work differently, work from home, or, um, you know, perhaps I'm starting to look at my work in a very different way. Um, what else can you do other than quit then? Though quitting might be the thing for somebody. Yeah, so it depends whether you're talking from an individual or an organisational point of view. Because if you're talking organisational, um, this situation at the moment, and you're right, there are a lot of people who are re-looking work as part of their whole life and going, 
I'm not sure if this is the best thing for me. Um, and I've seen I've seen this probably more in women than men um, wow. over the over the pandemic. But there's been a lot of reassessment. Um, and from an employer's point of view, that's really scary because they are potentially losing some of their best talent for things that they could have actually prevented, which is where a lot of my cultural work comes from. Um, from a, an individual point of view, it's yeah, it's it's it, it's a case of of knowing that this is actually something that you can do something about. I'm not sure if I've answered your, your question, Bella, from the individual point of view, because I went off on the tangent on the on the the leaders. Did I answer the question? I think so. I, I mean, if you're thinking about somebody who's, if you know, they're in the position where now they're taking that second look at their job and and they're thinking about, well, what are my options, right? I think, I think what you're saying is, well, of course, you've always got that option to leave, as many people are doing now, um, but you have other options as well about how to handle it. But I, what I love about what you're saying also is, again, it's not just about the individual. It's also about the organization and the culture. So this is a massive opportunity now for leaders now to look at their organizations and say, this is happening. This is a real problem that we need to solve. And lean, we're all about, you know, see the problem that's in front of you and work to solve it. So what can the leaders now be doing to start to to turn that around so they don't have to um, see people walking out the door when perhaps they could have done some work to help them stay uh, and become more engaged in the organization. Absolutely. So, so with leaders, um, the first step is always to get an accurate picture of what's going on. Um, because the larger the organization, the harder that generally is um, to do. Mm. So if, if you're, if you've got several sort of layers of, of structure, um, it's very hard for the CEO to have a close personal relationship with everybody in the organisation. So the first step always is to work out what is my culture. Now, traditionally um, how that has been done is things like engagement surveys. Mm. Um, while engagement surveys can be useful, they should never be taken as the only um, the only test of an organisational culture because simply things like people might answer questions differently because of the way they're worded. Um, people may not be, not have um, faith in the anonymity of it and they're, they're, they're not going to answer truthfully because they might feel that it will come back negatively on themselves or in some cases I have seen behaviors where people won't answer truthfully because they um, maybe their their um, person who they answer to they really like and respect but the last thing they want to do is put in a, a negative response that's going to reflect badly on them all right. sorts of so you can't take you can't take engagement surveys just straight as they are so um, when I work with organisations, I also look at some of the other quantitative stuff, so things like staff turnover, productivity. Um, there's a whole range of, of things that you can look at. And then um, equally important is like a qualitative assessment. 
of where we're at. And a lot of that is on things like um, having conversations with people throughout the organisations and really building up that trust and rapport to find out where they're at, find out what's important to them, find out what, what is, is something that's causing them um stress or something that they would change if they could um, and even things like from that um, qualitative point of view observation is very hard in a work from home environment to do observation yeah. but even just things like observation and watching how people interact with each other um, but yeah there's a whole the first step always with organization is get get a um, almost like a temperature check of where the culture's at and then take active strategically plan, planned steps to address it um and yeah that depends on what comes out in the assessments so yeah right so and that's you know that's very consistent and then with a lean approach where you always want to start to understand what is the current condition and and how do you how do you measure it and i think the, the other thing that that um i'm thinking about this jody is that is that for folks who are working with leadership, uh, if you're a lean consultant in an organization, whether you're external or, or you're an internal um, uh, person working with leadership, um, we talk a lot about this idea of leader standard work and, and leader standard work is the things that leaders should be doing daily, weekly, monthly. And that should always include going to the workplace and seeing what's really happening and actually talking to people. Right. And not in the way where it's, oh, the boss is coming, so clean up um, and everybody be on their best behavior, but to do it frequently enough and 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 confidently enough that people start to get used to the boss being around. Now, if you, if you have a massive, you know, hundred thousand hundred thousand people organization, you can't do all of that, but you could do that at, at, at every level. So this is something that um, that the people who are working on lean thinking could definitely help with as, as they're working with leadership. Absolutely. You, you, you're 100% correct. There's nothing really that replaces that close, personal, trusting relationship in order to find out what's actually really going on and for people to feel safe to open up and actually tell the boss um, without having to feel they have to filter their words. So, yeah, you're 100% correct. So I remember um, one time I, I told you the story about, about the boss who asked me, um, you know, what I was worried about at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, one of the things that I've heard, um, you know, in organisations is, is also people say to, uh, to an employee who has suddenly had something happen to them, right, Um Suddenly, there's been a reorg, their position changed, uh, they've been asked to take on a project that they didn't expect to have to take on, you know, so on and so forth. And then they have been sort of, they've been told, but you'll be fine, because you're resilient. It, but that's not really what you're talking about, is it? I mean, that that's more like I'm thinking of the, you know, those toys that the kids have, where, you know, the, you punch it, you, you know, you, it kind of goes down, it bops back up. Um, you're you're talking about something that is that is not not quite the same. Not the not just being willing to take another another blow, so to speak. Absolutely, um, yeah, definitely. It's 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 funny that sort of reaction from a boss of uh, you'll be okay, you'll be resilient. On one way, it's kind of saying giving you like a, a, a I have faith in you 
response, yeah. which is a positive thing. The other side, it's almost diminishing um, the effect on that individual. So I, I would recommend that the leader deals with that a little bit differently and, and realise that um, people accepting change, it's almost it's very similar to like a grief process, so yeah. large change where there's um, a process of, of dealing with it and, and being mentally and, and affected by it and then eventually getting to acceptance. Um, they're almost the same steps and people can go backwards and forwards through the steps and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a change management is one of the things that, that I help leaders with because it's not just a case of, oh, you'll be right, you'll adjust actually realising that there are these stages and, and doing things to help people through um, the stages of accepting change. What other behaviours have you seen inside an organisation that you would see as being problematic? Yeah, there's lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots. Um, probably the biggest one, um, and I sort of help leaders around setting up the opposite of it. Probably the biggest one is a lack of psychological safety. And it's a big buzzword um, mm-hmm. that you hear at the moment, but a lot of people don't have a concept of what it is and how to, to develop it. So psychological safety is a, a situation where people feel safe to voice their ideas, even if they are totally different to others around them or the the leadership they feel safe to try new things and step out of their comfort Mm -hmm. zone they feel safe to um, learn and develop themselves Um, and they they feel safe to to innovate and all of this with it with an idea that um, if stuff does go wrong so just say they do try something new um, that if if they are not as good at it as, as somebody whose experience would be or if they fail and have to try again, that they're actually psychologically safe in doing that. And you find that when there's these environments, you get enormous teamwork and collaboration. You get um, people expressing their own ideas. You get people um, wanting to develop their careers and wanting to develop their, their um, skill set as opposed to when there's not psychological safety, human beings will naturally try to protect themselves and they'll be Mm -hmm. a lot more insular, keep to themselves, do the minimum, um, not step outside of the the boundaries of what's safe. And you really end up with, um, and there's obviously different degrees of this, but you end up with an an organisation of people who who kind of follow the process and, and do what they're told. And, very few organisations over a long period of time thrive in that environment. And there's a whole stack of other ones too, but that's probably the most prevalent and far-reaching one, yeah. What, what do you think drives leaders to create an environment that is not psychologically safe? Oh, such a good question. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if leaders are driven to create a non-psychological safe environment. I think what we get is we're all human Mm -hmm. um, and it takes as leaders a lot of self-awareness to act from that place of um, even if, so just say an example of even if an employee is 
challenging challenging them if I could talk challenging them on some of their decisions and saying listen I don't think that's the best way and obviously all of this is done respectfully please please keep that as an underlying current yeah um but just say the employee says listen I don't think that's the best way to go it takes a leader who is really quite sure in themselves and sure in their own ability and has got their ego in check to actually take that for what it is and not take it as a personal attack um so that's a major part of it is is finding a leader a leader actually have done done the work themselves wanting to um see things transparently and knowing that they are yeah they're in a good place themselves their egos in check that they can have those experiences and um when things go wrong operate as much as possible from that clear state rather than in that panic fear state so it's a lot of self-awareness the best leaders out there have done an enormous amount of self-work so I don't think to answer your question that leaders set out to not create a psychological safe environment it's almost like as as leaders at various levels their own humanness can create that environment um, and sometimes because it's sort of, the, again, the larger the organisation, the harder this stuff is to shift, that it can be almost like a collection of, um, I don't know, people feeling unsafe and then they, they therefore perpetuate that cycle. Yeah, so if the manager's not feeling safe, then they're not going to be comfortable with the employee making a mistake because might reflect badly on them and they're, they're going to be in trouble. So, so when you're talking about the organization, and Jody, you, you work um, especially with senior leadership. It is that it's, it's starting at the top, right? To, to, and it needs to come from the top. It's very difficult to, I think, to build psychological safety from the, from the bottom up. Yeah. hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> I, I, um, one of my favorite sayings I say is the leader sets the tone. Yeah. So they set the culture. Um, yeah. And the smaller the organisation, the bigger impact and the quicker impact that that has, negative and positive. Um, but definitely larger organisations, the leaders still set the tone. It's just a little bit of a longer and, and different process to, to address it. So I think, we, you know, we, we, we talk about companies of all sizes. I think one of the things that, that happens a lot um, particularly in the entrepreneurial environment, is that is that people start out, you know, obviously perhaps just themselves and themselves and a, you know a couple of other folks, and then quickly the organization, if it you know if it's successful, the organization starts to grow, they get more and more relationships, and they may be very focused on the business, getting the new product out, getting the getting the funding, getting you know getting um, you know going public, you know the things that you might do in building the company. Um, and it, I think it could be very easy um, in that kind of environment to to forget about or to, to discount the value of things like psychological safety, um, of, um, of respect for people, of, of taking care of the people as much as you're taking care of whatever you think your bright future is. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up sort of like the, the small entrepreneurs um, as an example, because you see this a lot where somebody is, is entrepreneurs generally, if they're starting their own business from scratch, you've got very passionate um, 
emotionally invested people in in the business. Yeah. They're, they're pretty much the business becomes their their heart and soul and their focus. So you're right when in terms of creating a positive environment, it's a lot easier with a couple of people. When those organisations do really well, especially if it's a very quick progression, which you see a lot in the the digital IT field, um, especially through the pandemic, because a lot of them grew at at an amazing rate, um, that it it is almost like the culture is, um, yeah, it's almost like just the way it kind of, develops on its own so what leaders a lot of the time have to do as entrepreneurs and it's not their strong suit because their strong suits normally what they did the business the business focus in the first place is they need to to kind of get to a stage where they look back where they'll see cracks appearing in the culture um, and they'll look at it and go ah the smart ones they'll look at it and go I've got a problem here um, I need to do something about it so yeah, the, the, the real trick with entrepreneurs is to spot that before it gets too bad because what I see a lot of, it gets really bad before they go, oh, I need to do something about this. So being, I talk about self-awareness earlier, awareness in terms of your business as well and your culture and your business, um, spotting it and taking steps to fix it um, sort of sooner rather than later and being quite strategic in it um, and sometimes getting like HR people or getting um, consultants like myself in to actually help yeah. with that process. So important because if you don't do it, you, most businesses will end up with, with real growing pains. So things like um, staff, turnover, staff turnover will go up. Um, you'll have workers there who are, who are there but they're not as happy as they could be or they're frustrated. or So culturally and in the end that actually affects profitability um can be hugely affected by that sort of growth so i'm glad you brought up the entrepreneurs as an example because it's one of the key groups that this stuff's relevant for right so so if you're listening to this and you're in a company you have a company you're working with a company you think well it doesn't apply to me because it's not a big company i think what jody's saying is it absolutely applies to you and in fact uh, one of the things that happens in entrepreneurial companies is that you're going to have to pivot and you're going to have to pivot first, right, Jody? So, so if you have to pivot, and you're, you're the people who are working with you have not, you haven't built resilience into the culture. That pivot's going to be very hard. It's very, going to be very hard to get the people to come along with you, as you as you make the necessary pivot to go to the next stage of your business. Yep, really good point. Really good point. Because if you're aware of it earlier, you can make those subtle changes when the subtle changes will help set the direction. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So we're talking about different in- industries. Is this the same across different industries? I mean, you, we've, you talked about digital industry. Um, what, what, what changes in different kinds of industries? It, yeah, it's an interesting point. So nearly every industry has some degree of, of stress. So there are certain things that are common across different industries, but there are, certain things that are particular to certain industries. So I mentioned IT before, um, very fast moving, um, fast change, lots of pivoting, lots of um, quick adjusting. So that causes some degree of stress. Other industries, so for example, like the accounting industry, 
Um, there is a lot of um, legal implications in, in what they do. So there's the, um, the pressure of, of keeping up with the legal changes and the, the tax rules and um, being compliant the whole time. And you've also got a situation where what you do, what you do and what you say with your clients has an enormous impact for them again legally profitability that sort of stuff so um, I mean that's just two industry examples um, but yeah there is there's a lot of there's stress I think in almost every workplace or potentially stress in every um, industry but yes there are there are changes and it comes down to what's particular to that particular industry so for example um, education and you you've got a, a, a situation where you're dealing with the, the future lives of these people who are in a very depending on the age of, of the kids you're, you're educating very um, can it can be what you do can have a huge impact on on those kids in in their future if you think back to teachers when you were in in elementary school there's probably one teacher who made a real impact on you um one way or the other right yes one way or the other definitely (laughs) yep so there are different stresses in different um industries definitely um but stress is a a common i think across all of them yeah i think you know one 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 end well it's not i call it an industry but one one area that is under tremendous stress right now is healthcare. And um, I, I know I know a number of my listeners are are in into healthcare, um, uh, and uh, what so something that was that was very interesting. I thought was very interesting when the pandemic first happened. A lot of uh, hospital groups let go their continuous improvement staff, and mm. or um, uh, uh, I don't know if, you know, they were perhaps necessarily let go permanently, but they were they were you know told to sort of sit on the side because of the impact, particularly in the U.S., the impacts of the pandemic and the work that had to be done, and the, and, and and you know all the difficulties, all the difficulties there. And now we're seeing. I'm not. This is not a result of that, but but the other, the thing that we're seeing now is a lot of healthcare workers. And again, I'm focusing on the U.S. because that's where I'm from. Saying I can't do this anymore. I cannot take this anymore. It, it you know, it can't keep happening. I, I can't. I can't go through another month, two months, you know, six months of of going through what we have to go through with COVID. What could um, hospitals, healthcare organizations, be doing right now? Um, mm-hmm. Apart from getting everybody vaccinated, you know, which is, which should help a lot, but but what else could they be doing at the moment? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up that with with healthcare um, and the fact that they dropped their continuous improvement plans as one of the early things. I see this so often in, in organisations; they'll go through a period of um, particular pressure and they drop the things that they class as non-essential yeah. or non-immediately obviously essential and my gosh long term it can have such huge negative effects on the organization and the people within it um training departments um as you said continuous improvement all that sort of stuff so if they've made that mistake and they find themselves in that position i would go back to sort of what i said before do a, a um 
a check of, of where you're at with your people. So talk to those and do things like engagement surveys, but talk to, to people. Um, so that that maybe nurse who's feeling like I've, I've, I'm worn out, I cannot do this um, for another month, sit down and have a very, very serious um, conversation with them and find out exactly what it, what what's led them to this, what they're feeling, what they need, um, what's going to give them um, that sureness that they're going to be okay to to keep on doing this, whether that's now or later, um, and be as accommodating as possible. But the first step is always just ask the question. Um, you can't assume. I mean, you can't assume that you actually know what, what that person's going through and where they're at. And if you have those conversations with um, a range of people, you will see patterns. So um, I'm making assumptions here, which I'm saying not to do, but yeah. just say yeah. one of the patterns, and you talk about the healthcare per- work workers, just say one of the patterns is um, I'm exhausted, I can't, do this anymore try and and obviously with shortages and that sort of stuff it's going to be a little bit tricky but try and work out how can you give that person the break that they need and it could be as simple as they might work four shifts a week don't make that an every second day or so shift have a period where they can take like a five days of not having to work so they can actually unwind and then maybe um four shifts in a row i mean it's just one possible but be as accommodating as possible to address address what is the main concern and challenge um, of those staff that you're actually working with Um, yeah and as much as possible and I know that's very difficult in the environment if you can bring people in to to create that flexibility I know that that's a problem at the moment but yeah for some organizations it's not um, yeah, yeah, but I think what you're saying is 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 very interesting. That it's it's not just that people are going through these challenges, which are enormous challenges, but there's a difference between going through a challenge and feeling that leadership doesn't know or doesn't care, and knowing that leadership does know and does care, even if what le- leadership is able to do is quite limited, right? So maybe they can't bring in a whole bunch of travel nurses because they're just not available. But Such a hearing, good point. From, hearing from leadership that, hey, we know this is going on, makes makes a big difference, I think is what you're saying. It's, it's Such a good point. There was actually quite a large um, study back in 2014 in Australia, and that was one of the findings that they found consistently, that, um, yeah, just the, peop- the staff... Um, being aware that um, or having the perception that their leader actually cared about their well-being, that alone made an enormous difference. Um, so you're absolutely correct. So, Jenny, you're, you're in um, Australia. Uh, what you have to say and what how you can help organisations, um, obviously there's only one Jody, right? So, so you, uh, you can't do it any, everywhere. Um, but you've written a book. I was, and I hope you could tell us about the book. Yep. So the book is um, written for the um, senior leaders in an organisation. So people in in leadership roles. So your CEO and your, your C suite um, 
executives primarily, um, but there's information in there that could be relevant for, for leaders um, at any level of yeah. an organisation. So it is designed around um, patterns. So there's there's 10 chapters and 10 different patterns of what I see as major issues that come up in culture in organisations and they're ones that I see repeatedly. Um, so it's an awareness piece of, of going, ah, oh, okay, maybe that applies to my organisation and um, there's various case studies and examples in there of, of how it can sort of show and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, very much designed for leaders who want to create that really positive culture and, and be aware of what, what are some of those patterns of issues that are that are out there? And what's the book called? World class leadership. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got quite a long title, but uh, yeah, we're but so that's uh, okay. You can say it. Yeah, so world-class leadership um, for senior executives uh, determined to create a productive, collaboratively, sorry, collaborative and ultimately profitable culture. So if you're, if, for the folks who are, are um, watching this on YouTube, what you will be seeing right now is you'll see the cover of that book pop up so you can, you can recognize it. And um, the name will also be in the show notes uh, for today's show for those of you who are listening. Um, and Jody, how do, how are people going? When the book is coming out in September to uh, twenty twenty one, uh, so yeah. very very soon. It is September already. Um, and how can people get it? So your best place to find out about the book and to find out more about me is to go to my website, which is just www.jodywalkling.com. So in your show notes, you'll pick up the, the spelling of my name. So, yeah, just jodywalkling.com. Um, and there's there's a book um, tab there. They can find out um, more about the book and, and what's in there and how to get it. Um, and, yeah, find out more about what, I do, and there's all sorts of options there to, to reach out and connect. So, Terrific. Thanks. So I know you and I could probably talk for another two or three hours. There's a lot that we could, that we could talk about and, and, and talk about how the continuous improvement folks can help move the organizations and people towards resilience. Um, but I'd just like to wrap up by asking you the question I ask everyone, which is if you were to give advice to a young person studying out in their career, what would you, Jody Walkling, tell them? Yep, I love this question. It's such a good question. Um, I would say work on yourself. So self-development, and that that is from the point of view of um, self-awareness, so knowing what your triggers are, knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are, knowing what, um, what situation helps you perform at your best self-awareness will go an enormous way and then help you develop your strengths and if there's any things that are holding you back or not not ideal work on them not being a negative in terms of your career so self-awareness and self-development definitely thank you great advice well, thanks, Jody Walkling, for, for spending some time out at the edges of Lean. And as always in these conversations, we, we always seem to come back to the heart of, of Lean thinking, which is respect for people and um, really caring about other human beings. So thanks for thanks for being there with us. And everyone, check out Jody's book and her website. And uh, rate and review. We want to hear from you. We would love to hear your comments. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on, Bella. 
this is Bella Engelberg, and I'd like to thank Jodie Walkerling for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. How will you help organizations build resilient cultures in your continuous improvement work? We'd love to hear from you. Find Jodie at www.jodiewalkerling.com or on LinkedIn. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen. No matter how you travel to the edges of lean, your ratings, reviews, and comments are greatly appreciated. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leadcommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbeck. This is a Lean for Humans production.